Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. I'm Rick. I run a software-enabled services company called Leg Up Health. What's up this week, Rick? Not much. I've been reading a book that you suggested. Yeah? Yeah. What book? It's called I- Obviously Awesome. I knew the answer that I'm I'm an interviewer asking questions for the benefit of the audience. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. Obviously <laughs> awesome. I it's the book that I've been searching for my whole life. Really? You like it that much? Yeah, so um we'll get into this later, I believe, but I um you know, went th- I spent a, I wasted a lot of cycles and energy and time at as a CEO of Zane Benefits and People Keep trying to figure out how the hell to explain what we were doing mm-hmm. to the world. Um, and uh, this is the, f- the the most useful framework that I have come across for figuring that out. Cool. Well, that's a great teaser. So um, we are going to give updates on what we're doing. And then it's going to be a throwback episode. Back in the day, we used to do deep dives on topics. So we're going to do a deep dive on that book. So if anyone's interested in that... Stay tuned. <laughs> Stay tuned. Yeah. What, what uh, as far as updates go, I I want to just reflect that July is my first month fully focused on leg up health, and it's kind of a it was kind of a weird month to shift focus because of the holiday. Fourth of July is just kind of a you know fun time to not work, but uh, over the last few weeks I've really ramped that up, and it's amazing how much more when you didn't, when I didn't have a, when I wasn't spending a lot of time on it, I didn't feel the pressures as much. I was more leisurely working on leg up health and other things. Mm -hmm. Now that I've shifted full focus and it's in the second half of the year, I'm I'm definitely feeling like go like pressure and like I'm going hard again. And so it's, it's interesting. I'm starting to remember how much I like being busy and working, working a lot of hours and working hard. I haven't, but I haven't done that in a long time. Yeah. So you, you mostly like it. I mean, I assume it comes with some downsides too. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I've been, I've been reflecting on if it's, if it's okay for me to be working all night long, for example, if I'm into something and Mm -hmm. maybe sacrificing on sleep that makes me not the best husband the next day, you know, these kinds of things. Yeah. And I, I do, I think like if I want this to be successful, I'm going to have to do stuff like that. Most likely. I think the trick is balancing it, you know, with other priorities in the, in the meantime, but ultimately, you know, working towards a situation that isn't forever, um, you know, or, or infinitely far away, but you know, within the next, I guess, 18 months to where I can start, you know, pulling back, um, and, and, and run and having more of a sustainable venture. Do you have a sense of what you want that sustainable state to be? Cause some people just want to do the four hour work week style thing, like sit on a beach and let other people do your work for you. Some people want to just keep, you know, like Elon Musk obviously doesn't have to be working as hard as he is. What do you want for yourself? Yeah. So I, that's a good, really, really good question. I, I don't know. I think that changes over time. So right now, you know, right yeah, now, I mean, like long term, I guess. Well, yeah, I, I think I'm always going to want to work. I'm. I, I've recently studied a lot about retirement, and 
how much of a lie that is uh, in the U.S. and 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 like the modern era era. Um, and I I believe that it like true retirement true retirement kills people. Um, it's like a suicidal deciding to retire is a suicidal like decision. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so, uh, you know, I know I want to work for a long time. Uh, I think what I've learned from coming back into working hard again is I really do like to work hard, but I do, you know, I think I, I don't want to, I do want to be present for family things and um, be able to do things when I want to do them. So there is a amount of freedom that I want. So I don't want to have to work 24 seven, but I, you know, I don't mind doing it. I actually enjoy it. Sometimes I get really into it. So there's some balance there uh, where there's moments of freedom uh, mixed into maybe a pretty aggressive to most what would appear to be aggressive work work style um, to, to other people. If I can give you some unsolicited advice here, um, something that I I don't want to say I regret about the early days of less annoying, but it could have gone wrong. I don't think it did. I made a lot of decisions that uh, imposed constraints on my lifestyle that I I wasn't making deliberately at the time. And, you know, so for example, if you commit to a certain quality of customer service, now eventually you can hire someone to do that, but you're kind of saying, well, I got to be around to do that, right? That's Mm -hmm. a very simplistic example, but like as soon as you hire an employee, you have commitments to them and it's hard to change that stuff later. If, so for example, if, if you have an office and then you decide you want to go to remote, that can be pretty devastating uh, to culture. So maybe you're already doing this, but uh, I would spend some time thinking, what do I want my life? St- it, it may be work 60 hours a week, but with total flexibility, you should build your company around that versus if it's work 40 hours a week with no flexibility versus 20 hours a week, you know? Yeah, totally. Um, I, it's definitely more of like the 60 to eight hour, hours a week with hour with, with flexibility, mm-hmm. um, de- definite for me. And I, uh, you know, I, I, I think I'm aware of that. Um, but it's a good point because you never know when you're, if you're not thinking about that as, uh, you know, what you want to have happen over time, you could easily create roadblocks for that. that yeah. You know, very difficult to reverse roadblocks. I totally see your point. Yeah. yeah like I'm, I'm living in St. Louis going, I mean, not because because of COVID, not right now, but like going into a nine to five in an office job, I'm not sure I ever really decided any of that. Like we, we decided it as in the moment, St. Louis is the right place to be. I'm not sure I actually sat down and said like, when I'm 50, do I want to be running a big company, like a, a, an office in St. Louis? And I think the answer is actually yes, but I'm so lucky because I don't think I actually thought about that. I uh, go back and forth on planning ahead like that. Um, I, you know, have you heard of the end of history illusion? No. Um, it's a study that basically concludes, um, I'm not sure how unscientific it is, but the, the point is kind of interesting. The point is we, we underestimate how much we will change in the future, um, re, you, know, rel, you know, relevant or relative to how much we've changed in the past. If we look back 15 years, right, and we think about how much we've changed over the last 15 years, even one year, we go, we can point to boom, 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 all these things, right? We've changed massively. Our preferences have changed. Our attitudes have changed. Our beliefs have changed. Um, but when we look forward 15 years, we think we're going to be the exact same. Yeah. No. Okay. Absolutely point taken that I, how could I know what I would want when I'm 40? But I could have avoided putting constraints on myself that maybe don't allow for certain types of change. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying any of this to complain, but just that 
I woke up one day and I was like, wow, I've made a lot of commitments without necessarily fully appreciating what I got myself into here. That's the key. I think, I think what maybe what, what the higher level version of what we're saying here is, is that when we, when you make decisions that limit your ability to have freedom um, of choice, then that is dangerous because you like your preferences will change. Yeah. The flip side of this, of course, is one of my competitive advantages is that I committed, whereas so many other entrepreneurs are like, meh. <laughs> so yeah, it, it goes both ways, I guess. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. Uh, cool. And, well, I, and I, I would argue that that most decisions are reversible or moldable over time, uh, you know, if you're willing to have the right conversations and you work in an environment of trust. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's true. But like we had a, sorry to belabor this topic. We, we hired our first several employees remotely and then moved to St. Louis and two of them left. Um, really? One, but both, uh, sort of because of the, the shift, but one really pretty explicitly was like when we were in San Francisco working together, I was happy. And now you are in St. Louis and there's a whole team culture that I'm not a part of. And you know, he's not mad. We're still very good friends, but like sometimes making those changes, you, even if you can do it amicably, it, it sometimes breaks some of the things you've, you've set up in the past. Totally, man. Uh, yeah, I totally get it. What about you? What do you got going on? Well, oh, I had a point there. Sorry. Um, uh, so yeah, I think, uh, when you start going hard on something, I think you you learn you you use you lose a little bit of strategy and focus. So mm-hmm. I think I've been as I've been ramping up stuff. I've I've also felt the desire to ramp output out, and I think as a result of that, I've gotten to a place where I'm trying to do too much, too many different things uh, at the same time versus focusing on one one project. And uh, so anyway, I, my big my big update that this is leading into is that I, I'm I'm. I, I focused on sales and marketing, but I was feeling kind of, you know, uh, just not like I was being getting a lot done, but mm-hmm. working on it, working a lot. I'm now focusing uh, very much on this positioning topic uh, that we're going to talk about today. And rather than, you know, reach out to people every day, focus on maybe reaching out to a couple people once a week and, you, you know, and then really focusing all my time elsewhere uh, your creative time on, on figuring out how to explain, figuring out positioning, which is how to explain what leg up health is, who they're, who it's for and why it matters. Great. That's real. I don't know when it was, but six months ago, maybe we had a conversation on your productivity and the topic of context switching came up a lot. And it sounds like what you're basically saying is every time you switch from one thing to the next, you pay a price of getting in the zone for that. And so if you can group stuff together, you don't context switch as much. Is that kind of what you're saying? Totally. And I think, um, I think there's like, I think it happens when you get busy. Sometimes you get busy and you, you lose the strategic focus. And just, I had epiphany when, when we started talking about this book the other day via Slack and I was, I was like, Oh crap. Like this is the most like root issue keeping me from making sales. It's not reaching out to people. It's not more conversations. It's explaining what the hell we do efficiently. Yeah. And, and so now that I've like take, taken the time to reflect on that and focus, I have no problem delaying reach out activity and sales and marketing activity um, while I focus on this. Great. Cool. Yeah. What's your, what are your updates? Uh, I've got a few. So I started the day with a good old fashioned panic, which is, it turns out last night we broke our API, uh, for our customer facing API without 
realizing it. So this morning we woke up to a few customers like, why isn't the API working? Uh, so, I mean, I'm only mentioning it just because like, that's a, that's a startup moment, right? That periodically you wake up and are like, oh shit, <laughs> that's not great, but we got it fixed right away. Um, the, is there, did you like identify why it happened and how to prevent it in the future? So the, I mean, the why that it happened, we, we're working on transitioning from how our API authentication used to work to this new system, getting ready for this new API. Um, so it's just a pretty classic, like the new, the new system we're moving to worked, but the old one didn't. The main takeaway here, we have a lot of interns around right now and they, there's a lot of lessons for them to learn. I'm not saying this to, to blame interns, but to say like, this is a lesson I already knew, but that they didn't is when you test something, it's human nature to test the thing you just built. I've seen so many, inter- and I always forget, I, sh- I need to make a point at like at the beginning of the summer, tell every intern this, they build a new feature and they test the new feature. That's never the most important thing to test. You need to test that you didn't break the old feature. Um, so the new API stuff was working great, but, and and we put it up on dev and said, okay, make sure you test it. Is it all working? And it was all like, she tested it and it was working, but then didn't test that the old people, the, the, the legacy users who were already, who are using the old system that they still worked. So good learning experience for everybody, I think. And it sounds like low scope in terms of who was affected by the change. Yes. I, I hope that one day our API is like a major part of our business and we have like a platform and an ecosystem. Right now, the reality is not many customers use it. And those who do, um, they were pretty understanding. Like we, we offered them a free month and stuff, but, uh, but like the biggest one turned it down. They were like, no, I don't want you to feel like you you suffer consequences because of a honest technical glitch. So that was, that was nice. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Um, other things. So I mentioned last week we, we did the price increase and I'll kind of continue giving updates on this. I don't think I really have a lot to say aside from, you know, the big question is we increase prices from 10 to $15 per month. Is this going to affect our growth, like our user growth? So far, the answer seems to be no. Um, we aren't having amazing user growth or anything, but every day we add a new day of people into the top of the pipeline and then a day of people cycle out from their free trials. We've basically stayed constant since the price increase, meaning like from a month ago, those people cycling out, it's the same number as what we're adding now. So I think that's a good sign. That's terrific. Yeah. Not a lot of data yet, so it, it could go it could go downhill from here, but so far it's looking okay. Congrats, man. That's a huge do you feel relief or do you feel anything? Honestly, I don't quite believe it yet. I mean I do in the sense that I think this will be the outcome, but you know, there's normal noise. And so like one day's pretty good and I'm like, well, whatever, we got lucky. And then there's a bad day and I'm like, that's the new normal. Uh just I, I'm not confident yet in it. Um, but we have had a few people pay us fifteen dollars or uh, fourteen pounds if they pay in in British pounds. So, like some people are willing to pay this price. So great, <laughs> that's great, that's awesome. Yeah, I also now can calculate our average revenue per user. Like it's always been ten dollars, and now it's ten dollars and one one hundredth of a cent or something like that. Like it, you know, it's still basically watching $10. that watching that grow up go up though is going to be really fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's a price increase. A uh, couple more updates here. Um, so we've referenced a few times that we're going to have my colleague Malia come on to talk about no code uh, related to our coding fellowship. I wanted to give you a little update. 
she talked to our coding fellows and said, hey, we're thinking about making no code more of an emphasis next summer and starting with it. Um, teaching no code and then teaching you how to code rather than the other way around. And I was very surprised to hear they all kind of were like, that's a terrible idea. Don't do that. Really? Yeah. Which yeah, is funny because most reasoning? of them don't like coding. Most of them are like, coding's impossible and hard and I, I kind of hate it. But they were like, that experience was necessary. They're still very much on board with doing more no code. So I think the conversation we're going to still have will still be super helpful. But they were like, if I didn't already know HTML and CSS, at least Webflow would have made no sense to me. Um, and I needed to like get in the mode of this is hard. That's okay. So what we're maybe thinking is we'll start out with HTML and CSS and then switch to no code as like the kind of second module. I think that's right. Uh, I think that there's probably a basic sort of get your hands dirty uh, version of HTML, CSS, and even probably a little bit of JavaScript uh, before you really can take advantage of a tool like Webflow on the front yeah. end. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess this goes to show just ask people for feedback, right? Because I was super surprised to hear that feedback. It's amazing. Sometimes you get in your head, you get start talking about, to the wrong people about ideas for change and it always is, it always, you always get your real answer from, by going back and asking good questions of the end user or the end customer. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then my final one before we uh, go into the deep dive here, I mentioned last week, Sococo, I guess is how it's pronounced, which is this uh, tool that it's an overhead view of a floor plan of an office. And it's for collaboration where all of us have little avatars in our office and we can move around. And if you're in the same room as people, you can talk to them. So it's kind of a, for a remote company, it's like a virtual office. So we started trialing it on Friday. So it's still sort of new, but preliminary results are in. I mean, it it is incredibly gimmicky and I'm embarrassed to say this, but I think I love it. <laughs> How do your uh, team members feel about it? They all feel the same way. Every time I ask someone for feedback, they're like, it, like you feel stupid liking it because it's almost like you're playing the most boring video game ever. It feels like a video game, but all you're doing is like walking from one office to the next. But everyone's like, I don't know. It like it actually feels like I'm more connected to people because I think like humans have these really powerful like spatial un understanding of how the world works and things like social norms. So, for example, every room in Sokoko is exactly the same. There's literally no difference functionally. But some, like one of them is the quote unquote kitchen and there's like a counter with a sink and a little table and people will go in there and chat and a different one looks like a conference room and no one goes in there to chat, you know? So it's like, it's playing, it's, it's taking advantage of these innate fundamental understandings we have about the world around us and, and making it digital. And it's getting us, we could have done all of this in Google meet, but we didn't. And so I don't know. I, They've got, they've captured something that works, I think. Are you going to, are you going to pay for it and become a paying customer? I think so. It's, it's a 14 day trial where tomorrow will be a weekend. So I'm going to send a survey out. I haven't talked to everyone yet, but the people I've talked to have been positive. It is expensive. I think we're going to be spending 500 to a thousand dollars a month as a company on it because it's, it's, it's quite a bit cheaper if you don't use their audio or video. But the thing I found is so great about it is like if you have to hop into a Google Meet, it almost negates the value of it because at that point, like you, I could have just slacked you a link to the Google Meet. The value is you just walk into a room and start talking and you know the other people in that room can hear you without 
being invited to a link, a meeting or whatever. So we're going to use a lot of their minutes, which is going to make it expensive. Ah, that's kind of, okay. So that's a little bit, so there's, there's an opportunity for someone to come in and do a fixed price version of this, uh, and, and, and make some headway. Yes. Now the Sococo uses Amazon chime as their like audio and video provider, which is an AWS service that basically does all of that for you. And, so Amazon charges by the minute. So I, I don't think they're being, they're probably being a little greedy here, but I don't think they could offer a fixed price because their price, their costs are so variable. Okay. All right. But someone in theory could engineer this themselves, cut the costs of that down significantly. And yeah, that would be pretty appealing. Very interesting. Yeah. So anyway, what, how's, I, how's the, how's the meeting and phone quality? Uh, pretty good the the, the audio quality is fine like it's as i you know typical voip like voice over internet stuff the video the quality's fine but i'd say the user interface is not great so we're kind of talking as a company about when do you do like when do you switch to a google meet versus using their video and stuff like that and we basically have settled on if it's a quick you know hey i have a question back forth back forth back forth done and then we're done with the conversation use their video or probably don't even use video, just use audio. If, if it's anything with either a lot of people or that's going to last a long time, we'll, we'll switch to a Google meet. Sounds like it's not quite there. Yeah. Now it's, I think the company's like 12 years old. It's not like a new startup, but definitely it lacks a certain level of polish that would be nice, but I don't think it's going to be a deal breaker. And they strike me as a very, I think they are a company run by business people. Like, I don't think there's a lot of pride for the product is my impression. So they're like, this is not a deal breaker. Why would we make this better? That's kind of the impression I get. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, that's too bad. Uh, well, it's, I hope someone, I hope that this concept is, a, is uh, carried forward because I think with virtual, uh, with virtual, um, you know, experience opportunities emerging. Like I have an Oculus. I don't know if you have an Oculus. Do you have? Mm -mm. No, but I've, um, I've used yours before. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's immersive and it gives me great. I mean, one of the hardest things about being remote as an, as a startup and I, and then working with other people, which I've had the, you know, put, you know, opportunity to do is, you know, getting in the same room and having that feel, even if it's like, kind of tricking yourself like what Sokoko's doing into feeling that, mm -hmm. I think it makes a big difference. I totally agree. But something I was surprised to learn is I think one of the keys to it working is that it's default audio only. Um, I know that it sounds right intuitively that immersion is what makes this work. The thing is, if you have a video chat open, I think you feel a certain like performative element. Like if you're in a room with someone in real life, they're not looking at you all the time. Like if you're both working, you're like, I know I'm not being watched and stuff. If you're on a video call, you have no idea is the other person looking at me. So you never, you know, pick your nose or whatever. Um, making it audio only makes it feel more like you're in the room with them because you're like, there's, I'm not performing. I'm just here. They're here. And if we want to talk, we can. But if we don't talk, it's not weird. Yep. Yep. That's interesting. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's the last of my updates. I'll, I'll probably give more of these. I, I, if we use Sococo, I think this is like a big, this would be a big part of our culture. Um, and I don't think it's smart to like 
just be like, oh, well, we've got this tool. Use it if you want. Go. We, I, I'm like, this is probably my number one priority right now is making sure we use it the right way and we have norms. And if you're in this room, it's audio. If you're in this room, it's video and all that. So I'll probably give more updates here. Totally. They're not a, uh, what I would, they're not a video conferencing tool. They are a virtual office culture, culture tool. Yeah. Yeah. Same way when we moved into our physical office, I put so much time and effort into what's the, where are we going to put the conference rooms? What's the norms around? Like, can you talk in the open office and how do you book conference rooms? All, all that stuff is so important. That's great. Um, cool. You want to you want to get to this deep dive on uh, on the book you're reading? Sure. So um, context here is uh, I, wanna, I just want to talk a little bit about my challenges at the last company I was at. Um, so Zane Benefits and, and what is now called People Keep uh, was in the business of offering something that didn't exist prior to the company being formed. So we were pioneering a new way to offer employee health benefits, which was basically the opposite of how traditional group health insurance works. And um, one, you know, when we were one of our biggest challenges in terms of marketing and sales and even customer service and retention was explaining what it is we were and why we mattered and why we were good for them. And uh, you, you know, you, you take that for granted when you're in a space, how hard that is, um, when you're in a space where people, when you're, when you're in a space with people who kind of have a place for you in their head. So for example, um, I mean like a health now, and there's some words I can say just like you can with less annoying CRM that say, Oh, you're one of those. Mm-hmm. And they go, Oh, I can now think about you in that context and compare you to what you know is good, what is bad, and what might be beneficial to me, right? You're CRM, I'm agent, yeah. and uh, and so uh, I, you know, this is what we, you call positioning, right? And um, no, you know, I've read a lot of books, so I've read uh, positioning, which is the which is the book that sort of introduced and and created this term called positioning and gave it sort of popularity. Um, it was written, I think, in the '70s, and talks mostly in the context of branding, um, how to you know think about positioning. Uh, it does, but it doesn't give you a how-to on how to develop positioning for your company. The next book that I read, and bo- both of these books are mentioned by uh, in the book that we're going to talk about, which is called "Obviously Awesome." It's by April Dunford. Um, I think that's how you pronounce her name. Mm-hmm. If you if you search "Obviously Awesome" and April Dunford, you'll find all kinds of content. Um, speaking that she's done on the subject, you'll find the book if you want to buy that. And I highly recommend supporting it because this is a really good book. I put this up there with the mom test in terms of books I would recommend for a startup founder. Um, sorry, I got distracted there, but, but, um, you know, the positioning was a book that was written in the seventies that I read. And then crossing the chasm was a book. I think it was from the, the, the edition I read, I think was from the early two thousands. Um, but it was, you know, it, it, it focused on, positioning as an important piece of a, of a go-to-market strategy uh, for winning in, in tech and envi- in, in, in tech uh, disruption environments. Um, and, and one of the things that came out of, uh, of, of crossing the chasm, which, which wasn't in the positioning book was the concept of a positioning statement. I'm a big fan of positioning statements. It, that gave me a, the words within positioning to think about how to, how to talk about positioning 
you know, and, and the famous, the famous uh, positioning statement is for this, you know, target customers, we do this, um, that provides this, this benefit. Um, and unlike our competitors, we're this, this, and this, right? So, um, you know, what, what April does in this book is she, she, she calls those two books out and explains, you know, great, we have this thing called positioning, which is good. We have a, a really clear definition of it from crossing the chasm, but we still don't have anyone out there telling us how to actually develop positioning for our company. Mm-hmm. Right. And so this book fills that need and, uh, it, it's, uh, it's brilliantly done. Um, she walks through, um, you know, she redefines positioning a little bit higher level than what I would say the past, um, books have done, done. She, she flies all the way up to basically business strategy. Um, do you remember what the definition was, Tyler? No, I, I read it like nine months ago, so I kind of remember concepts, but no, <laughs> I've got it written down here. Positioning defines how our product is the best in the world at providing something that a well-defined set of customers cares a lot about. This is, this is like the core, like business strategy or product strategy. It's not a tagline, although that can come from this. It's not a point of view, although that can come from this. It's not a vision. It's not a brand. Brand is driven by this. Um, it's not messaging. Messaging comes after this. Um, you know, arguably, it's not even marketing. This is business strategy. This is you know, even marketing should be you know, and a go-to-market strategy should be derived from the company's positioning. So, yeah. you know, th- this is. Th- I've always thought positioning was important, but this gave me like sort of the fire to say it is the most important thing for a startup or future, you know, you know, any cut size company to figure out for their time and uh, you know for the current time that they're operating in. Would you agree with that? Um, I don't, if, if you just said without context, positioning is the most important thing, I would say no. But if you say like what you just said, I agree that is bigger than the normal definition of positioning. And yes, can you read it one more time just to solidify it? Positioning defines who our, uh, how our product is the best in the world at providing something that a well-defined set of customers care a lot about. I mean, like you said, everything's derived from that. Like I'm a product person. If you don't know that, how can you build a product? Like I didn't just build a CRM. It was, well, it's for small businesses, which probably even wasn't specific enough. Like I'm not saying I necessarily nailed this, but, and then, well, in what way is it going to be better for those people? Even if you don't have this framework, you're probably going through something like this in your head before you can do anything at any aspect of the business. And she's very clear. I, I would say if you're really early on, you don't have any clients, you're in, you know, MVP, pre MVP idea validation mode. This is going to be very fluid and mm-hmm. you're not going to spend a whole lot of time on finalizing anything, but knowing what this is, is ultimately what you're trying to figure out, you know, in the early days of a company is what is, what is the the thing that I need to build that matters and, you know, to other people and, and fills in the blanks here. Yeah. Um, she, you know, you're not going to finalize it until you get some repeatable, you know, you know, things happening in your business, repeatable customers, repeatable, um, you know, marketing stuff, and then you're going to kind of bring it all together. Um, but, but I'm at the stage now where it's like, okay, I've got, I've got customers, I've got a, I've got a product. What am I? Mm-hmm. And how do I, you know, the two questions that, that she says, you know, positioning should answer is what is this? What is leg up health? And why do I care as a, as a potential customer? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think you've done a really good job at that at Less Annoying CRM over the years. Well, as you when you introed this, you said like how how helpful it is to be able to position yourself against something. Like 
I am a CRM, you are an agent. And then you can, you don't say what you are in the universe. You say, what am I relative to that thing? We got this totally wrong at first. And I think we were maybe a case study of how not to do this because now we call ourselves Less Annoying CRM. When we started, we called ourselves Less Annoying Software. That's what our name is. Uh, The company is technically Less Annoying Software. And the reasoning was we were targeting low-tech people and we were like, this was 10 years ago. A lot of people didn't know what a CRM was at the time. And we were like, that sounds like an annoying buzzword. We're less annoying. We don't use buzzwords. We don't want to, we didn't put the word CRM anywhere on our website. We said, it's a, it's a way to manage your context. We said what it does. And of, of course that didn't work because people would, first of all, no one could find us on Google because people don't search for any of that stuff. Second of all, if they found us, they had to spend 10 minutes trying to figure out like from, you know, the singularity prior to the big bang. How do they, how do we get to where we are rather than saying we're Salesforce, but simpler, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that's interesting. I've, for, I'd for totally forgotten about that, but you, it sounds like without reading this book, you naturally learned and iterated yourself to, we got to make this easy to understand. And CRM was the context that they needed uh, your, your, your potential customers to, to sort of put you in a box. Yeah. Yeah. And again, prior to reading the book, like one of the big realizations we had, you hear a lot about like jobs to be done and like sell the value, not, not the features and stuff like that, which can be, can be correct. But I think it's taken way overboard where I'm sure we've all seen this. You're, you're shopping for, like I was recently shopping for uh, like a knowledge base, like help site SaaS product. And you go to each one and they're like only selling the value. They're like, your customers will know the answers to the questions. And I'm like, I know that's what knowledge-based software does. I came to you. What, how are you different from the other knowledge bases? That's what I want to know. <laughs> yep, totally. So uh, a couple of things that... So so I, I, I want to make a couple of statements. Uh, I wasted probably $200,000 of marketing spend over the course of years hiring marketing agencies in Utah to come in and help us with our positioning and branding. Um, and, uh, not their fault. I don't want to be very clear. These are good, good agencies out there who do great, great work, especially design work and, you know, in brand like logo design colors, that sort of thing. If you don't have this positioning stuff, right. All of that is wasted because these guys don't do that. <laughs> how um, could they, are, how could they tell you what your position is? Yeah. And, the, and, and there's very few people who on the outside who know how to come in and lead you through this process. And if they do, they're going to charge you a couple hundred thousand dollars for it because that's what it's worth. Right? So April Dunford, that's what she does. Um, she she has been a product... The, the concept for this is usually um, owned by product marketing within the, com- within the organization if it's not owned by the CEO, which it probably should be. Uh, the... But, but, you know, this has to be homegrown. And if you can't do it on your own, you need a book, you need, you need someone from the outside to come in and help you. And this is the people who know how to do this are, are rare. Yeah. If you don't have this stuff figured out and you're worrying about what your logo looks like, like I was last week, I can't believe I did that by the way. And you're, and you're, you know, after all this, or your pet, you're bringing in an agency to come help you with branding and your, you know, your colors and, and all this stuff. You are. You are wasting, I will say wasting, I'll say you are potentially and most likely wasting a lot of time and money. That's interesting. I've always been really skeptical of 
bringing in an agency for help. And of course they are, there are good agencies out there that are good at what they do. So this, this helps. I had a bit of cognitive dissonance where like, how, like, I believe this is not valuable. And I also like the whole world can't be a scam. This, this connects the dots. If, if you have the right stuff figured out already and you can bring them in and, and focus them, they can get good work done for you. Totally. If you know who you are and why it matters and what you yeah. do, and you can explain that to your customers and you, you can bring a creative, you don't have the creative talent in house to do some of these things. You can bring those people in and get them up to speed, give them the context and they can do some really, really great work. Um, I, I never set up our marketing agencies for success like that. I had no idea I was supposed to. So if you've got other stuff you want to talk about, I don't want to distract too much, but I'd be interested in diving into how, how are you going to apply this? Yeah. So, well, I want to talk about one, one thing real quick. Cause, cause I think, uh, we are going to think about this differently given what stage of business we're at. So, um, there's sort of two, there's sort of two ways to think about positioning. One is positioning a product and a company simultaneously as one thing. And the other is to position a company as one thing and products as independent things underneath it. Um, I'm at the stage where company and product are one and the same. Um, and that's where I'm coming from. But I want to call out that there are other companies out there that have company a company um, with multiple products. And you may be entering that soon where you've got less annoying software with less annoying CRM and maybe even less annoying you know, you know, chatting or something like that. So, so there, you know, there are different frameworks for that. What we're going to talk about is, you know, when we're talking about leg up health and what less annoying CRM is today, we're talking about a company and product branding as one thing like Slack, uh, would be another good example. Mm -hmm. Yep. Makes sense. Cool. So yeah. Uh, well, you don't, you know, do you want to talk about the framework real quick and how, what she describes as like how to do this? Yeah. If I, I, honestly don't remember it. So why don't you run through that? <laughs> yeah. So she has a 10 step process. Um, basically uh, it starts with, you know, understanding the customers who love your product. So I think if you don't know who the customers, you don't have customers right now and you don't have customers who love your product, then you're not ready to do this. So uh, if you're early and you, and you need, and, and you are thinking about positioning, that's great. You should be thinking about this as important, but don't worry so much about this framework, um, right now, uh, until you've got, customers that, that love you, or you have potential customers who will love you. You're so confident that if you deliver on the product, they will love you. Um, second step is a, you know, form of a, a positioning team. Uh, I, I'm not, um, I'm solo. So for me, it was me. Uh, but if you're, if you're, if you've got multiple people at your company with this, um, it's very important, uh, that they are involved. The key stakeholders from across the company are involved because the positioning, um, convert, you know, decision ultimately is a company-wide affecting decision. As you mentioned earlier, Tyler, it's, uh, it, it'll affect what product development works on. It'll affect how sales sells. It could affect who marketing targets. And, you know, you don't want to get too far ahead of people who are going to, you know, throw a fit later because they weren't involved in the process. Mm -hmm. Uh, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm solo, so I don't have to worry about that as much, but, um, you know, I am including uh, some of the interns in this process and I am including, uh, uh, Sable, my wife, who is actually in product marketing, which is really useful. Um, uh, she's actually going to put me through one of her messaging sessions this weekend. That's uh, just not fair. That's yeah, too good fair. of a too too good of an advantage. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, so step three is um, a lot of people have different words to describe different things within 
your company already. Um, so for example, uh, my wife uses the term broker. I use the term agent to describe sort of something that we do. Uh, one of the things we uh, you know need to do is is write down the definitions of those two things, be clear on what we're talking about when we say agent versus broker before we get too far along, because otherwise we'll miscommunicate. Um, so you may have some internal words that you throw around that maybe people aren't on the same page with, and you need to clarify those things. And then the other big part of step three is uh, she says, let go of your positioning baggage. Um, and this is, this is something I was never able to do at people keep when people would try to help me with this. I would always come back to like, no, no, but that's what we are. If I, I, you know, I feel passionate about that origin story mm -hmm. or, you know, th this, you know, this thing that I created or the, that we created and, you know, to, to go through this exercise, you really do have to sort of shed any sort of loyalty to how you describe yourself today. Makes sense. It's hard. I, I mean, would you be able to do that right now if we were going to go I, through a session? I would love to try. And I think I would be stubborn, more stubborn than I should be, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So the good thing is I'm not too far along with leg up health, which is why I'm glad I'm doing it now Yeah, because I don't have attachment. I, you know, I want something within this one. I'll, I'll talk about one of the things within this that, that I'm having to let go of is I, I don't want people to call me an insurance agent. I don't want to be identified as an insurance agent. I don't want to be associated with insurance agents. I, you know, I don't want my mom to have to say when her friend asks, like, what does yeah. your son do for work? Oh, he's an insurance agent. You know? And so that's a baggage I get that. I'm going to have to let go of. Because everyone knows what an insurance agent is. And at, at the very least, you should be positioning yourself against insurance agents, even if you don't call yourself one. Yep. Uh, and what, you know, so step four um, takes me into sort of why I, uh, I'm getting to this. But um, step four is, uh, so there's sort of five piece characteristics that she say are part of a, uh, of a, of, of good positioning. One is, um, let me find this real quick. One is uh, what she calls competitive alternatives. This is like, if you didn't exist, what are the things that your customers would do to accomplish the same thing, uh, or job to be done? Um, so for, for, for leg up health, this is, uh, you know, they could use another agent. They could, uh, you know, go online and find someone online to help them like an online broker is what they're called, or they could go to healthcare.gov. Yeah. Right. They all, they also might have, you know, a, a, a friend or a family member who is an expert on this, who could coach them. Well, and we, we had a sort of interesting take on this because when we started again, we, we thought our main competitive alternative was Excel. Um, which I think is still true. Like at the time, especially most businesses were using Excel, not a CRM, most businesses we were targeting, but what we found out is none of those people are looking for a CRM. So we started repositioning ourselves against other CRMs, even though our ideal customer is using Excel, but we, we couldn't reach them. Yeah, exactly. So, um, that kind of, one second, pardon me. I had a scratch in my throat. The, so, so yeah, so get your competitive alternatives down. And one thing like what you mentioned is, as, as we go through these steps, part of this is going to be a combination of who, who, what, you know, who you can beat in terms of competitive alternatives, plus who you can reach. Because if you, if you can beat the hell out of a competitor in one, in one situation, but you, you can't figure out how to reach the client that, you know, you're not going to go anywhere. All right. So step 
step four is about listing your true competitive alternatives. Um, and you got to really think outside the box with us. Step five is to isolate your unique attributes or features. So uh, what what we mean here is what features or capabilities do you have that alternatives do not? So uh, for Leg Up Health, one of the things we have is a login uh, where you can view your digital insurance cards from multiple insurance companies in one place. Another one is you can uh, we do no paperwork, so you can actually make us an agent um, and manage your agent of records with us completely online without do- signing any paperwork. Those are two examples of features we have. What about you? Well, this is, I remember one place where when reading the book, I was, and not just that book, but a lot of advice you read, we do what you're not supposed to do, which is it's simpler. Um, we don't really have any features that other CRMs don't. I mean, over time, maybe now we do, and and pretty soon we're actually going to work on some real differentiators. But for the first 10 years of the business, it was everything you can do in every other product or everything you can do in Less Learning Serum, you can do elsewhere. You'll just like it better. And I think one of the reasons that's considered a bad approach is everyone can say that, right? Well, it's I not a good marketing message. I, th- I would say one attribute you have is also lower cost. Like our, we, we charge less yeah, and we won't, raise, we, we won't raise prices on you. Um, and we will schedule as we will spend as much time on the phone and on yeah. the, as you want. And so when we started, customer service was not a big selling feature. And I think probably one of the reasons it became one is, yeah, you you can point at it and say it's a specific thing we do. So yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Yeah. So um, that that's interesting. Uh, once you get your unique attributes or features, you want to map them which, uh, across what she calls value themes. Um, by value, uh, she means what value do the attributes enable for the customer? So for example, um, you know, leg up health uh, by... By being able to view all your policies in one place, it saves time. Um, so there's some some, some save, time savings component there. I'm still working through this. I'm not sure exactly what my value items are, but um, another one I know is going to be you're going to um, have peace of mind that you have the best plan at the best price. Um, so there'll be features associated with that. And then uh, I, I imagine that there will also be um, some form of save, monetary savings value that I'll be able to articulate, but I'm not there yet. I bet by the time you get this nailed down like years from now where you can really say this definitively i think the thing it's going to be something related to like the the stress of not know like there's it's this thing that's incredibly complex that nobody knows about and it causes stress i think the the de-stressing and removing uncertainty is what people are going to get value out of totally yeah um one th- so this next step is is where I think I oftentimes go wrong. Oftentimes what I do when I think about positioning prior to reading this book is I wor- worry about who cares a lot before I clarify a lot of these other things. So I get really focused on the market and the target customer and the ideal profile of the person that I'm trying to serve without getting super clear on the value themes. And so uh, step uh, seven is determine who cares a lot based on your unique attributes or features and you know how they've mapped to value themes, and uh, this is actually a really interesting exercise because you know I think uh, it, it it gets into the question on can you reach them, and you know how how uh, uh, what's the word uh, how uh, you know how likely are they to get excited about what you do? Yeah. So yeah, I can connect with listening CRM. This is all 
like not that we planned it in advance, but you know, in hindsight, I can say what what worked and what didn't. I think one of our key values is that that we provide is you actually use this. Like most CRMs, fifty percent of CRMs that people sign up for don't get used. It's, it's a failure. We'll say you actually use this to connect this to that next point. Who cares? One of the challenges is the reality is an enterprise buyer doesn't care. Or they care, but they kind of care about different things. Like the CFO of a big company is, their primary thing is not engagement. It probably is too abstract, but a very, very small business where they're like, well, I tried Salesforce and I stopped using it. Like, why would I look at you? And if we say, well, you'll actually use it this time, they'll be like, oh, that was the thing that failed. Salesforce didn't fail me because it lacked a feature. It failed me because I stopped using it. That's interesting. Yeah. So people who have failed with Salesforce, mm-hmm. yeah, small businesses. Right. So that's yeah. why, I mean, we, we wanted to go after small businesses anyway, but probably originally we were like, well, if a big business comes along, maybe it'll work out. And now we don't even, if a big business comes along, we're just like, go elsewhere. This isn't going to work. Don't bother. Yeah. And I, I have a feeling that for, for leg up health, the who cares a lot is going to be, it's not just going to be all people who buy their own health insurance in Utah. It's going to be probably people who are, have families um, and multiple constituents for the policy um, who are in a profession that requires them to buy health insurance on their own chronically, meaning, uh, you know, this is a, a, a recurring problem for them over time, um, which, which, uh, but, but I'm not sure yet until I get through the value mapping that that's true. Yeah. I, I also wonder, you know, there are a lot of people who have like an invincibility complex sort of, and you see this right now with the mask wearing where people are just for no reason at all, taking incredible risk. They're, they're just to like, they don't think it will affect them. I wonder if that's a type of person where you're like, they don't care enough. They'll be fine if they miss their insurance this year, you know? Yeah. And if they don't really care if their plan is the right plan for them. So yeah. Like they're not thinking, well, what if I get can't, you want worriers, you want people that are stressed out all the time (laughs) (laughs) or people who have, who have, who are, yeah, I guess so. I guess that's what family is, right? Like when you become a household, Mm. you worry about other people. Um, when you, you know, this is the same th- reason like why employers are buyers, great buyers of health insurance is they worry about their employees. Um, yeah, so it's a, but yeah, th- there's, there's a clear in, if I go look at my really, really happy customers so far, the ones who are really, really happy are the ones who are most concerned about getting it right and continuing to use the right doctors. They're getting the most value. Um, so yeah, I guess it's, it's probably people who worry. Uh, that's interesting <laughs> or, or ha- worry, have, have a, have a, a reason to worry. Yeah. Um, find a mar- step eight. Um, so this is the, I think the hardest part for me. Okay. I, I, I can see pathways on each of these other steps, but it's step eight that I, that I find the, the hardest part. And that is find a market frame of reference that puts your strengths at the center and determine how to position it. Okay. Mm. So we talked a little bit about this earlier where it's like, I don't want to be an insurance agent. That's my baggage. But, when it comes down to it, when I'm trying to explain to someone what I am and I leave out agent, it confuses the hell out of them. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, the same problem we had not using the term CRM. Exactly. So um, this, is, this is probably the most, uh, what I would call dense part of the book where it walks through um, a couple of different ways to position. And I think, you know, I think she's got this right. Most um, marketing consultants and positioning people uh, usually have a bias towards one approach. They're like, oh no, you got to, the best way to do this is to create a new category. 
Like you got to always create a new category. She does not do that. She actually outlines three different ways of, uh, to approach positioning, which I haven't seen before and says, listen, it depends on the situation, you know, your preference uh, and, and, and whether or not you want to raise venture capital. She actually mentions that uh, because uh, certain positioning approaches require capital. Mm-hmm. So there are three positioning approaches. And what I would like to actually talk about right now, and I could use your input on is which approach should, should like a belt take, because okay. I'm not sure people. So first is head to head. You go into a comp, you know, a market, um, that has a clear, uh, leader, um, or clear market and multiple players. And you go compete head to head on, you know, within that category. And you say, say, I have a better way of doing it. Second is you, you, you take a market that already exists, but instead of going head to head, you subsegment the market into a niche and you, you know, you basically focus on that niche and create a, a, you know, use that to create a competitive differentiator, like a less annoying CRM for small businesses. You don't go after Salesforce. You go after a, a less annoying CR, a small business who wants a less annoying CRM. So the first option would be if we said we are better than Salesforce. The second option is we say Salesforce was never for you. We're for you. Yes. And the third option is create a new market category. And that is we're not a CRM. We're something different that hasn't existed before. Yes. Don't do that. <laughs> well, sometimes you have to. So no, 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 sorry, sorry. You should not do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about that because um, people keep we had to do it, right? Like at same benefits, we had to do it and we didn't do it well. And this, and she actually talks about, it's so frustrating to read what she wrote about that particular positioning strategy, because it was like, oh, we made all these, mis- all the mistakes she said that you know, will screw you up. We made. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the biggest things about creating a new category, if you're out there trying to create a new category is if you're not like raising hundreds of millions of dollars in venture capital, it takes, that's what it takes to create a new category. And if you fail to defend the, your position as you create it, some new competitor is going to come in, steal all your hard work about creating the category and become the market leader and destroy you. And that is my biggest fear of what's going to happen with people. Keep we've, we clearly defined the category. We wrote it. Um, and we worked, did all the work to create the regulatory, uh, stability in the, in the market. And if someone is smart and raises a bunch of hundred million, a hundred million dollars and just comes in and destroys people keep like, I, I you know, people keep may not be in a position, I don't know what the current situation is, to, yeah. to compete with that sort of um, competitor. Right. No one wants to be MySpace. No. Oh, gosh. Poor guys. Oh, I feel so <laughs> bad for them. But they're the ones who did all the work. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and people keep the same way. So, it, you know, if, if someone beats people keep at its own game, um, even though I'm not involved anymore, I'm going to be, I'm going to be really sad. Yeah. Uh, in this case, like, this is a perfect example of like, how positioning is not a one-time thing. So people keep is, was a market category leader. It's now becoming an actual market category. That's real. It's not a new category. Um, one thing people keep may need to do to, you know, if, if it doesn't want to raise money is sub segment, uh, and mm-hmm. play in, in, and focus on not competing head to head and owning a niche. So anyway, there's head to head, there's a big fish, small pond, and there is uh, create a new category. What should leg up health do? Um, I mean, d- definitely not create a new category. I think like you've got s- the thing is, this is a thing people have to buy and that they're already buying, but what are, we're not health insurance, right? Like, mm, I think you should be selling health insurance though. Kind of. 
Like you are not. selling health insurance. Yeah, we're, we are someone who sells health insurance, but we aren't a health insurance company, right? Like I want to be very clear, like Aetna is a health insurance company. Blue Cross Blue Shield is a health insurance company. Those are not all our, our alternatives. That, that is, they're not competitive with us. Absolutely. You're an alternative to an insurance agency or agent. But I mean, people are, so people may not use an agent, but they're buying, they're buying the thing you sell. Um, and you, you've got to piggyback off that. Okay, I think. go on, go on. Um, so do you sub subsegment? I mean, in a sense, you you naturally subsegment, and that you're you're going after individuals and stuff like that. But then again, your 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 competition is also doing that. I assume there are agents that focus on individual stuff. Is that right? Yeah, there are, but people um, usually call them brokers. What's well, I don't know the difference between an agent and a broker. What um, I. A broker, uh, generally, I associate with being more of a salesperson. They broker on behalf of the insurance company. They they represent the insurance company. Mm-hmm. Agent, I think of more as someone who is acting as a consumer's agent um, and help and working on their behalf. So when I choose between those two words and what you know, I don't want to put either one next to Leg Up Health in my name, to be honest. But if I ha- if if that was the right decision for a company, I would wa- I'd prefer agent. I gotta say, I think if you if you did the research, I mean. Maybe I'm wrong. I really don't think any of your consumer, your customers are going to know the difference. I think agent is a more like commonplace term for this. I think people all hear the word broker and don't know. Actually, I have evidence on this. We sell to a lot of brokers, not just insurance, but a broker is a type of business where you you broker between two two parties. And so when we train new hires, we always say, if they use the word broker, your brain should go into I know how I'm going to have to set your CRM up because you're a middleman between two parties. Every single time I ask them, do you know what a broker is? And every single time they say no. I am not that. I'm not a middleman. So, uh, no, 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 no. Health, I'm just, yeah. I know you're I wanna... not, but my, my point is nobody's going to know what broker means anyway. I just say okay. agent. That's what everybody. Okay. okay. So, so, okay. So how do I, when, one of the challenges I have is when I, if I call someone and say, I'm a health insurance agent, they, they form a lot of assumptions in their head. So the part of the reason you want to do this and pick a category is to create a frame of reference. Yeah. But this frame of reference is so bad that it's like, maybe that's a good thing. I think there are a lot of similarities between what, what Lesson Learning CRM does and what you could do. Okay. Don't call them up and say, I'm a health insurance agent. Call them up and say, aren't health insurance agents the worst? And they'll be like, yeah. <laughs> and then you say, you you know, like what's, what's something everyone has a, like a person they trust? Like, does everyone have a lawyer they trust? Probably not. But like, let's say they did. You could you'd be like, what if you had that relationship with your insurance agent? Like, I feel like that's how you, I, I'm jumping ahead of myself. I'm like getting to the actual pitch, but mm-hmm. you can compare yourself to an insurance agent without saying I'm an insurance agent. Well, I think, I think the point of here is, is, is that I'm something I'm a different kind of insurance agent. Like by picking the category of for purposes of this framework for yeah. when, when I'm saying I'm picking a, a market frame of reference based on a, cat, a market category, you're, you are saying you are a CRM and I'm saying I am an agent. And so, you know, what I'm, what I'm trying to get to is, is like, is that the right decision? And I think it is. I think it is. Yes. Oh, okay. So am I, am I an agent going head to head with other agents and, or am I an agent and, and a, you know, health, and I should say, I'm a health insurance agent. Um, I'm not a property and casualty or auto insurance agent. I'm a health insurance agent. Um, and 
I, I, there isn't really a dominant health insurance agent player out there in the individual health insurance space. There is in the group health insurance space, mm-hmm. right? There's, there's GB, there, there's all kinds of big companies that you would, uh, you'd recognize the names of Mercer, um, to name one. I know you said that this is this has to be flexible for every business, but I think we can already predict one of the ways in which yours is going to need to be flexible, which is right now you're selling Rick Lindquist, the insurance agent, and five years from now you're going to be selling Leg Up Health, the software tool to, that replaces insurance agents. It's the insurance agency. But I, I bet at that point it's not. You're not saying like if you're selling yourself as an agency, you're putting them in touch with an agent. The person on the other end of the chat window doesn't matter to your customer five years from now, but it yep. does matter now. And I bet that means your positioning will need to change as you transition. But but those people on the other end of the phone will be insurance agents. Yes, but I I think at that point, that's not what the customer is buying. What are they buying? They're buying software that replaces the need to have an insurance agent. Oh, okay. Interesting. So maybe right now you are head to head a better insurance agent, and you kind of gradually move into like this alternative, the the sub segment. I could see that. I, I could see that right now the technology and the market doesn't allow it to be a new category. But I could see how over time, with with growth and with iteration on technology and product, I could do that. But I don't want to raise VC. Sorry, I'm so, not saying new category. I'm saying you go from head to head to the the second option. Okay. Because it, it, that, that's how you described what Less Annoying CRM is doing, right? We're not saying we're a better Salesforce. We're saying we are a different thing from Salesforce that solves your problem the way you wanted it to be solved. Yes. Okay. So here's here's what I would say then. We are head-to-head to start with Utah ins- individual health insurance agents. We're not competing with group agents um, and uh, and we're, we're, we're better. And, and, and it's kind of, you could argue that it's it's actually the 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 market category is health insurance agent. Most people associate that with a group health insurance agent, mm-hmm. and so in reality, we're playing. Uh, we're actually a, we're going after a niche that's unserved by the typical health insurance agent that focuses on group, and that's individual health insurance. So, you know, it, it's either one, but the playbook's the same. You have a, a niche, but you are like, and it's not even we are. It's you, Rick Lindquist, are a bet. Rick Lindquist is a better health insurance agent than. Joe Schmo. That's that's what you're selling. We're more, right no, now. we're more than that. We also have uh, software. Absolutely, but I I guess I you're you're doing the same thing in the same. Ca- I mean, yes, you're niche down, but so are some of your competitors. But I, I think to me, this seems pretty clear head to head. While you're the person selling it and providing the service and stuff like that. How so? It's exactly how you've described it. It's just better. Like imagine if if I made Salesforce like something that. It has all the features of Salesforce, all, you know, everything, but it's cheaper. It has more features, uh, better integrations. That's a head to head. What we said is we're like, you really don't get any of the stuff you get with Salesforce. We're kind of doing a different thing, which is what so, you needed. Yeah. So this is, you're in that, what I would say a small, uh, a small pond, big fish you've niched down and you've said, we're a, we're different. We're focusing on a different customer than Salesforce that, that they're ignoring. Yeah. I think I'm doing the same thing. I think in, in like, in it, an insurance when I say insurance agent to someone, they they first think of group health insurance agent. They they th- and, and so they're going the the big one here is Beehive insurance. One big one here is Beehive insurance. They're going Beehive insurance, and I'm going no, they they don't focus on individual health insurance. We're focused. But on, someone we're, does. I mean, there are very few. Be, yeah, 
Yeah, very few. Um, and 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 most of like the ones who do are the ones who like they're doing it as a favor um, or on the side of a, a group health insurance business. So I think uh, I think we're we're an in- individual insurance agent that focuses on individual health insurance. So this is a very important point to figure out because what you and I are saying is different. And the if you then work through this framework, you're going to get very different answers. Because if we if you follow the thread you're going down right now, you end up with. Someone goes to your webpage and they see, see, you know, we're an insurance agency, but for individuals. And if you follow my thread, it's, we are an insurance agency that you'll like better or something yep. like that. Yep. Um, yeah. And yeah, I, so- I, I probably need to talk to customers somewhat to figure out, do they know that insurance agencies aren't for individuals? Is that the problem they're facing? So that's the biggest thing for the, the reason I'm arguing this is when I talk to people and I say, Hey, did you know that every time you pay a health insurance premium, um, you're, you're, the company is setting aside money to pay an insurance agent that you assign to your policy. And they go, I had no idea. But now that I think of it, I pay an agent for my property and casualty. I pay an agent for my, you know, homeowner's insurance. Why, why don't I have, I should have an agent for my health insurance. Okay, so that's another maybe this is earlier in the framework like who who cares? Yeah. And to me you may almost have two totally different marketing pitches, someone who doesn't have an agent versus someone who does. And I wouldn't be surprised if in the early days here you just pick one of those. Of course, if someone comes to you, you'll serve them, but it might simplify things dramatically if you say the messaging is either for people who have an agent or for people who don't, but not for both. It's interesting you say that because there's three people. There's three types of people here. There's someone who doesn't have an agent, um, and there's someone who who has an agent but doesn't know. Like they're, they're, the the person who cares the most about what I'm doing is the person who has an agent and wants to fire them but doesn't know how. Mm-hmm. They go finally an alternative. Yeah. I can. I've had the same agent for ten years. They do nothing for me. They don't answer my calls. I want to fire them. Do you have a sense of what percentage of your of the market? is in each of these categories? Uh, in my customer base, it was one of 15. No, yeah. one of, yeah, two of fifth, two of 15. That would be my guess is like all the people I know, they just go on the marketplace or whatever. They don't have an agent at all. And if you do have an agent, it's probably for a reason. And cause mm-hmm. you're, even if you don't like them necessarily, you probably, it's like, Oh, it's my brother-in-law and you know, I want to mm-hmm. give him a kickback or whatever. Yep. So as, as it's great that those people care, but I wouldn't build mar- messaging around that unless I'm wrong about what I just said. Yeah, I think I th- th- this is interesting. I think I've got what I need. Um, you know, kind of wrapping up on the uh, on the framework, just to give you an idea of like what happens after this. Typically, you'd pick one of these approaches, and then you would uh, potentially layer on a trend, is what she says. But she, it's not necessary. So a trend is something that that, uh, you know, makes you more now, you know, you absolutely need a trend to driving the create a new category that's built in. But in, if you're going head to head or a smaller fish, a uh, big fish, smaller pond, you know, you, you, a trend could have the potential to confuse. And this is where I took a lot away. If you go look at my deck right now, on like I'm talking about a trend and I'm burying, you know, that we're an agent and that we're a different agent. And I'm actually confusing the customer. So if you're using, if you're really excited about what's happening around your product and you're not creating a new category and you're focusing on the trend, she, she made a great point here of saying, listen, that might be shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah. This is interesting because we are 
pretty far from this, but we're starting to talk about this appointment scheduling, like this thing we may call less annoying meetings, which at first is going to probably be mostly a Calendly competitor. And one thing we're wondering is, should we connect this to the remote work revolution that's happening right now? Because you, you could say Calendly wasn't built for a remote world, and we are. Or you could just be like, we're just better Calendly or something like that. And yeah, we're we're trying to decide, should we attach ourselves to the trend or not? So yeah, that's an interesting point. Yeah. And, and the way, if you do decide to do a trend, it's great if it supports your positioning. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it gets in the way of that or distracts, g- don't do it. Yeah. And I so, think we probably shouldn't. It was just a, when, when things went remote, we were already planning on doing this and we we're like, does anything change now that this trend happened? Leg Up Health has some interesting trends though. So what I need to do is, I think for me, I definitely want to include some trends around the shift from employer insurance to individual health insurance. I just need to do that in a way that isn't the lead. It's it's supplemental. Yeah. You could, I mean, COVID is a big trend right now. That I'm not saying you should do this, but someone, let's say someone else is listening and they want to compete with with you. They could come along and basically say, this is for people who just lost their group health insurance due to layoffs and you you never want to let that happen again, basically. Yep. That would be totally. a way to attach it to a trend. Totally, totally. Um, all right. And then the last step of this 10-step process is capture your positioning so it can be shared. It's basically write the answers to all these questions down. Um, and she has a, a template that you can you know, download on her website to do this um, and, and make it so that everyone in the, in the organization can you know, access it and, and, and use it. She, she, she really called out the positioning statement in this, in this chapter, because she said like the positioning statement is kind of really bad because it's too complicated to remember. So it's not something that people can carry with them, but it's also not useful looking at it <laughs> in terms of, yeah you know, in terms of what it, you know, it breaks down. So it kind of is no man's land, but this gives, you know, you can't remember any of this that, that we've gone through, but if you write it down, it can be referenced. Then, you know, it's, it's about putting, so that's the framework for developing positioning. And, and then she goes into positioning is not messaging. So we, well, all the th- things we just walked through were, you know, core business strategic decisions. What, what ne- happens after positioning is you develop the messaging that you use to put on your web page, to put on your brochures, to put in your sales deck. And the first thing she says that she likes to do is create a sales story. And she provides a really cool um, framework for that story arc. And then once you have the story, you, you work in through messaging. But um, you And, and the, the advice she has is document the story, document the messaging with that positioning so that anytime anyone's in the organization is working on an email or uh, you know, a, you know, a sales script or, you know, preparing a, a specialized deck for a client, they can, you know, pull that up and reference it and, and align to that messaging. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll be hard for a lot, a lot of people to take the positioning and turn that into sales brochures without the messaging uh, connection. Yeah. So, um, you know, I can totally attest to this. We didn't have the, I never quite got the right positioning at people keep, um, although we were close. But uh, the messaging, when I figured out what a messaging document was, once you get to about 50 employees, it makes a huge difference in terms of you as the founder not being a bottleneck on content creation. Interesting. I'm going to have to put some thought into that. We, we definitely don't have a document like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I think what the cool thing is you guys have a lot of documentation around the story and 
like what your beliefs are within that employee handbook. So I think it it permeates from the website and from that. So it's probably not all bad, but yeah, it's a, it's an interesting thing to consider. Cool. Anyway, um, that's the book. Uh, you know, I'm working through this right now. If anyone is listening and is work is working through a similar challenge and wants to bounce ideas, it's, it might help me. So happy to to chat about it. Um, Tyler, thank, thanks for working through this with me. I think I'm a, I think I'm an agent um, playing in a uh, either head to head within a small pond uh, or head to head with, you know, with, 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 uh, you know, a, not a leading player. Yeah. Cool. Well, I, uh, I expect updates on this as you can, cause it sounds like this is your top priority. So maybe a week or two from now, you'll have some, something to tell us. Yes, sir. Um, anything else you want to cover? No, I think that's good. Cool. Sorry about the long winded discussion. We went about 15 minutes over today. We'll uh, try not to do that again. Hey everyone. Mm. Thank you for listening. Me? No. I think I, I hate it when podcasts stop, like they're in the middle of a good discussion. And they're like, well, we hit our time. You, you <laughs> well, don't get the rest of it. <laughs> totally. Anyway, People could have dropped ahead. off at any point, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. If you liked this episode, I have two favors to ask. First, please write a review on the podcast app of your choice because reviews play a huge role in helping other people discover useful podcasts. Second, if you know any founders or aspiring founders of independent startups, please tell me Tell them about Start to Last. And if you'd like to review past topics and show notes, visit starttolast.com. See you next week. See ya.